Brett, sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind, sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more, online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Maureen, your Canva presentation looks brilliant. Thanks, Brett. That's because I used AI-powered Canva presentations. I just described what I wanted and Canva presentations generated the perfect slides. You can even make a talking presentation for people to watch on their own time. Check this out. Recording. 101 Reasons Why Beaches is the Saddest Film Ever Made by your neighbour Maureen. Is it easy to use? If you can use a computer, you can nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Oh, thanks, my neighbour Maureen. No, thank you. Look out, it's only films to be buried with The Resurrection. Hello and welcome to Films To Be Buried With The Resurrection. My name is Brett Goldstein. I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a cinnamon crunch, and I love films. As Madeline Miller once said, and perhaps it is the greater grief, after all, to be left on earth when another is gone. But there is no greater flowing of tears than the ending of Big Fish. Yes, hard agree. Every week I invite a special guest over, I tell them they've died, then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. But not this week! This week, I use my newly acquired shamanic powers to bring a beloved guest back from the dead! And this week, it's the amazing writer and director, Mr. Edgar Wright! Head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein, where you get an extra 20 minutes with Edgar... He tells me a secret. We would discuss the best beginnings and endings. There's a video. You get the whole episode uncut and ad-free and all the other episodes as well. Check it out over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. You can watch Ted Lasso episodes one to nine of season three now on Apple TV Plus and also all of Shrinking season one. Head over to Apple TV Plus. Hope you enjoy them. So Edgar Wright, you know Edgar Wright. He did a two-parter back in the day and now he's back to be resurrected when we recorded the last one he was about to make last night in soho so we get to talk about that having had it made and i've seen it we talk about all sorts of things he's fucking brilliant you know him you love him i think this is a brilliant moment we recorded it the other day over zoom and i really think you're going to love it so that is it for now i very much hope you enjoy episode 247 of films to be buried with the resurrection And welcome to Films to be Buried with The Resurrection. It is I, Brett Goldstein, and I am joined again by a actor, a writer, 
a podcaster, a panelist, a Q&A, a writer, an editor, a producer, a creator, and one of the all-time great film directors and TV directors of all time. Please welcome back from the dead. It's only him. Here he is. Can you believe it? I sure can. I'm looking at him. It's Mr. Edgar Wright. Thank you for having me. I always feel weird when you start with actor. It just feels wrong. Well, I'm, you know, I'm working up. I'm working up. But it's, it's, <laughs> yes. you know, these are all technically true. I'm carving out this weird side hustle in doing animated voiceovers. I just did Andy Sandberg's Dig Man show. And he oh, asked cool. me to do it. And it's like, yeah, why not? Right. But then I, that, that, that's funny thing where it's like on my credits, it has like DuckTales, Sing, Sing 2, Dig Man. <laughs> That's a great fucking CV. Now, listen, Edgar Wright, last time you did the show was a few years back, and we went for a walk, and you were talking about Last Night in Soho, which you mm. hadn't, hadn't yet come out. I hadn't seen it. I've now seen it. It's fucking brilliant. You came to the premiere. I came to the premiere in LA. It was actually like one of the first yeah. uh, sort of big outings after lockdown. Like it was a proper, it felt like it was the first time felt like a big event in terms of people came and... You know what I mean? It was the first premiere in the Academy Museum, which yes. is a beautiful cinema at that, at that museum. And it, ours was the first premiere in there, which was kind of amazing. Yeah, it was, a very, it was a very great night. It was a great night. And it was one of those nice premieres where the, where the cast stuck around. Because usually when, you, when you're younger and you and me, when you go to a, a premiere party, the last people there would be the stars of the film. Mm. <laughs> and then it's like the stars of the film are nowhere to be seen. They're off at somewhere else. And so it was really nice with the last night in Soho premiere because Thomason and Anya, you know, kind of like shut the place down. And I was like, well, that's nice because that doesn't yeah. often happen at premiere parties. That's a good sign. We talked about it privately, but I would like to talk about it publicly. There's a set piece in it, which I think is one of the all-time great set pieces. And it's a long one shot. Guys down some stairs. She's kind of seeing... Anya Taylor, Joy in the Mirror. Then there's this musical dance sequence where they keep swapping and it's all done practical and real. I love it so much. And I'm really interested in like, because I have a thing about, you know, one shots, long shots that are done in one take. Sometimes they're amazing. And sometimes I'm like, I'm not quite sure why this is happening other than kind of, it's kind of technically impressive and the filmmakers going, look what I can do. And I find that kind of often an audience doesn't notice that you would, if you said to them, you know, that was all one take, they'd be like, oh, I didn't notice. I, I didn't care. And sometimes I sometimes think, is it an artistic choice or is it just a kind of showing off, look what I can do. And in that sequence in, in your film, I think is like real proof of when it's fucking brilliant and when, it, when it's for all the right reasons. And there's something about it. This is my take on it, but you tell me if I'm wrong. The fact that it's it's a real like high wire act, like it's a real genuinely yeah. impressive, like the choreography of the actors having to move in and out of shot, having to swap places mid dance, the, the cinematographer having to move exactly at a moment to make sure he's not capturing the other person as they flip in from a spin. There's something about the genuine jeopardy of that shot that I think translates into the watching of it, that there's something about that sequence that as an audience, you're like, oh, it's really like thrilling. And I think it is partly that. It's the energy of this is fucking 
risky and live and everyone is so so focused on getting this exactly right. I think that that kind of comes off the screen. Agree or disagree? I think the reason we did it, and you asked the question, you know, what is it there for other than, is, is it just showing off? But in, in the sake of that, because you're asking the viewer to, to buy into this idea that when Thomas and Mackenzie dreams that she's in the past, she sees herself as Anya Taylor-Joy. Mm-hmm. So very quickly, we gravitated towards shots that were like optical illusions, things that you could actually see with the naked eye, although you can't necessarily figure out exactly how they're done. You know, just before the dance scene is the first mirror gag oh, where, yeah. like, Thomas in scenes Anya in the mirror. And that, w- and that was... We, we came up with this whole idea of rather than just using special effects, which is in a, in a weird way, it's just, it's not easy, but it's definitely a crutch for a lot of filmmakers is like, oh, the VFX people will figure it out. We sort of designed the shot so we could do it in one, which involved a sliding mirror and identical twins and double sets. And then that mm. continued into the dance sequence where I think what happened is that we, it was always written in the script that she was going to, Annie was going to turn into Thomason in the dance. And we had a VFX version of it. And then we didn't really know whether the VFX version was going to work because I didn't want to use motion control and I didn't want it to be a green screen shot. So as a standby, our amazing choreographer, Jen White, had worked out some other ideas. And she showed me these other ideas. And because I was in the rehearsal room with a handy cam, you just shoot them from a single point of view. And usually with those tricks, they can only be shot from one angle. But then as you're doing them, you start to think, Hey, what if we what if we did all six of these? So there's like six Texas switches in a row. And so it is that it is a high wire act because you but by fooling the eye and fooling the audience, you're also getting them to buy into the magic trick that's in the movie is that these these two actors are gonna become interchangeable. But weirdly, yeah. there was something that happened where I made a decision the night before, which I think made the sequence. And if I had stuck with my original idea, I think it would have ruined it. Because mm-hmm. originally in the conception of that scene, when they start dancing and it's Anya and Matt Smith dancing, and then suddenly Thomason is dancing as well instead of Anya. Originally, she was going to be in Anya's dress and Anya's hair. And makeup and hair had done yeah, Thomas wow. and Mackenzie in, in the dress and in the blonde hair. Mm. But then I realized, I remember I'd shown my girlfriend a rehearsal video that we'd done with some dance doubles, you know, because you have dance doubles, and we'd done a rehearsal of the shot. And the dance doubles were a blonde and a brunette. And I remember when I was showing this, oh, uh, Apple Watch has decided to chip in there. I don't know what it said. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the other day, just as <laughs> quick aside, secrets. <laughs> Apple, Apple Watch, I was in, like, one room of the house, and I shouted out to my girlfriend in the other room, Babe! And the Apple Watch said, this is all I could find out. And it had the synopsis for, for Babe, <laughs> the big film, came up on my phone. <laughs> but all I said was, Babe, question mark. Babe, and it came, it's a masterpiece. Thank you, Apple. It didn't do it now. So what happened, though, is because I'd, I, I remember I'd shown this test footage to my girlfriend. And when the first time they did a transition and it went from blonde to brunette and back again, she was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Show me that again, show me that again. What just happened there? I don't understand. And then you explain it. And when we did, I think we did one like rehearsal. And when I saw Thomas in, I thought, ah, if they're both blonde, this is going to be so slick that people won't even notice what's happening. Yeah. And so the only tough call about that was to tell hair and makeup and costume <laughs> that their hard work 
getting yeah. the dress for Thomason and the hair for Thomason was not going to be on camera. And I was like, guys, oh, you're going to hate me, but I think Thomason should have her brown hair and her pajamas and not be in this dress. And if I if I had gone the other way as I originally attended, I think it would be a far far lesser shot. I think you're right. That's fascinating. Wow, that's so cool. Well, I love it. Oh no, one question, one more question about that sequence. How <laughs> how many takes? How many takes was it? And which take is in the film? Uh, I don't think it was too many takes on that one. I think it was probably about ten takes. Oh wow! I mean, we rehearsed it we, on a Saturday, and the key thing is like the heroes of that sequence, apart from Matt Smith, Andy Taylor, Joy, and Thomas and Mackenzie, is not just the choreographer Jen White, but also. And you mentioned the director of photography, Chung Chung Hoon, is a, a master, a genius. But then the other man of the match, the MVP, is the camera mm. operator. And yeah. Chris Baines, who was the steady cam operator, he had to be there at every rehearsal because without him having the muscle memory to know where to be and when and memorize the dance as much as the actors are, without him being able to do that, you're fucked. Because the whole yeah. the whole thing succeeds or fails on him being on the right mark at the right time. And, and that's always a thing that's like, usually if you do mm. dance sequences, and I'd learned this from the days of low-budget music videos, that if you come up with a great dance sequence, but the operator is seeing it on the day for the first time, you've, like, you've lost so much kind of time. And so it was always the thing of like, Chris Baines, the Steadicam operator, has to be there in rehearsals. And so he, 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 was, he was working as intensively on it as the actors were, you know? How, if you can answer this, I'm just curious, it's such an impressive sequence in every way. How many days was it to make in terms of rehearsing, the actors rehearsing the camera appropriate and then filming? Those 10 takes were one day, right? You did the whole thing in one day? Yeah, I think... I think we did more than that in that day, actually. I think we actually, we actually wow. kind of got very unusually for me, got ahead of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I think the baby, the, the, the take, the, the scene at the start of Baby Driver when Ansel walks to the coffee shop and back all in one take, that, yeah. was, that was 28 takes. And the wow. thing is, we had to take 21, which was good, except Bill Pope, the DP, had one issue with it. And he said, get one more for safety. And then takes 22 to 28 got progressively worse to a point where by take 28, then you're saying, do you think we can save take 21? <laughs> like, and he goes, yeah, I can probably fix it in the grade. Like, I think the exposure pull was late by like a split second. And, and that's right. the take that's in the movie. He was able to fix the, his problem with it. And that's the take that's in the movie. I think this was like 10 takes. And then we actually got something else done that day as well. Like, but, but so great. how much prep was there? You know, the thing is also is that it's like you you just like the workshop stuff is stuff that you, you know, mm. kind of do before the actors get there. And then I think Annie was still shooting Emma right up until I think she wrapped Emma. And then two days later, she's shooting that scene. <laughs> I think it was something wow. crazy like that. Or she was at least rehearsing that scene. I remember that we had to we had to rehearse with her on a Saturday while she was still shooting Emma, which is obviously a big strain for her. But there was no other way of doing it. We didn't we didn't have any other time. So God bless her for pulling a seven day week or whatever it was that week. Side question: Are you emotionally good? The story within that story you've told, you had to like let down the hair and makeup and costume people who've been working really hard are you good at that side of it or does that upset you are you like oh god i feel so shit about this or are you like film's the film baby no i mean if i was bad at it i wouldn't even talk to them at all <laughs> <laughs> 
you get one yeah, of your underlings true. to do it, or you'd say true. you'd be a complete coward. <laughs> you'd be a complete coward and say, tell, tell them what, you know. Yeah. So I think hopefully the key to being a good director is is that you're kind of open and transparent yeah. and communicative. I'm sure like other people would like just like get somebody else to tell them. And they'd be like, wait, we're not doing the blonde hair in the dress? What's going on? Like, so at least I think I told them what we were right. doing and why and, and tried to break it to them easily. <laughs> gently, gently. Good man. And one last thing. Uh, is there anything you can tell us about what you're cooking up next? If anything, maybe you're on holiday. Maybe you've retired. I don't know. It's none of my business. No, there's lots of writing going on at the moment. I think there's a couple of things that are in a good shape. And, you know, I think it's the the way the, the business at the moment is like, sands are shifting very kind of quickly and stuff. So you tend to kind of like look at things in terms of schedule and practicalities and uh, what you could get kind of like, you know, kind of made, you know. So there's a few things. I'm always superstitious about talking about it because okay. I think I've, you know, in the past been foolish enough to give interviews about films that I, then I didn't end up making and I've always right. regretted it. Until you're actually there on the day, and then obviously yeah. in this day and age, you could you could make a whole movie and then a studio and not just decide not to release it. So yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm just like very superstitious about that. So hopefully there'll be um, some news soon, but I no no breaking yeah. news on this episode. Fair enough. I will say I did I since the last episode I sort of had my tail between my legs because. Me saying that The Goonies was the film that I, um, as an adult, I didn't like so much anymore, came back to haunt me in two forms. Number one, I went to dinner with uh, Ki Hei Kwan. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was terrified that he was the, who, of course, is the nicest guy ever. And, I mean, I absolutely love Temple of Doom. I was very happy to hear Adam Scott singing the praises of Temple of Doom because I, I yeah. agree. And uh, so, you know, I had an amazing dinner with him and then, you know, I kind of thought, oh God, I hope he hasn't heard Brett's podcast. Although I want to qualify, <laughs> what I was saying is, that would be the objectively the greatest film of all time. If you're, if... This is your right to reply. If you're 11, like not at 49, you know. Then also, I ran into Matt Ford on a radio show and oh, I had yeah. to apologise to him as well. <laughs> Poor guy. I don't know if he, he got over it. I hope he's all right. But I stand by though. If you're over, if you're over forty and you're watching that film in a cinema on your own, you should be wearing an ankle bracelet. I mean, you've just apologized and then doubled down. <laughs> Let me say, Ed. if I was like showing that to my kids, I think it's the thing. It's like uh, it, it is a thing with kind of like kids' films. It's like I mean, there's a number of things here. It's like if you're introducing it, to, if you have kids and you're introducing it to them, it's a more of a question of like, why, why are you watching? I don't know. Yeah, maybe I'm, <laughs> uh, let me stop talking about it. Matt, I apologize. You're allowed to watch Goonies whenever you like. Matt, enjoy your life. Edgar Wright, <laughs> I have brought you back to life because I like you. You get a second chance. But what point in your life will you come back to? What will you change? What will you keep the same? I have a recurring fantasy about being back in school and having a bit more sense of what I should be listening to. <laughs> I think I had a thing where I, I didn't wear glasses at school because I didn't know that I had bad eyesight and I never had my eyes tested as a child. And years and years later, when I realized I had glasses, it suddenly came back to me that I couldn't read the blackboard at school. And as such, I used to tune out of lessons a lot 
And I sort of wish I could go back and sort of pay attention a bit more. <laughs> I mean, I have that fantasy is that if you had if you had the time all over again, it would just be that it would be just extensions of what you're already doing, but like read more, like mm. listen, like this stuff is important. And I have a particular thing that I think I did really well in my GCSEs. And then when I was in my A-levels, when I'd started to make amateur films, my interest in my studies like really dropped off. And there was like a massive like, <laughs> because I was already like starting to think about making like movies and fucking around with a Super 8 camera and a video camera. But as such as like, you know, English literature, my grades like nosedived. And I just, you know, wish I could go back and, you know, be a better student. And then do all of this again. You'd, you'd, you'd make all these films, all these things, but they'd be cleverer. <laughs> Here's the problem with time travel. You mm. only want to do again the things you did badly. You do not want to have to do again the things you did well. So that's, mm. that's, the, that's the problem. <laughs> it's such a problem. You'd have to like pretend, you'd have to act a lot. You'd have to re- try and remember what you said. I think you'd cause all kinds of problems. Especially you're going back as a kid with all this knowledge and you're the one who thinks it's uncomfortable to watch The Goonies. I mean, the whole thing's a mess. <laughs> well, I think the thing is, also, if you were doing a Back to the Future 2 thing and then you could kind of uh, win lots of things at the bookies, I would be terrible at anything sports-wise, mm. like the Grand National or like the FA Cup or anything. I could remember the Christmas number one every year. So that would be my thing. If I went back in time, it would be like, ah, oh, yes, of course. This was number one in like 1992 and put an enormous amount of pocket money on it. But any sports thing, I'd be terrible at that. You know, or even yeah. like trying to avert disasters, you know, apart from a couple of obvious yeah. ones, that would, be, that would be the curse of going back in time. God, yeah, that would be real stressful. But I could win money on the Christmas number ones. Also, if you're a kid, for people listening in the state, don't do this. <laughs> no one's going to believe you. Yeah, go on, tell us about Christmas number ones. I was just going to say, Christmas number ones is not really a thing in the states for your American listeners, but it is a thing in the UK. Big thing. The biggest. The biggest. It's bigger than the coronation. Although I guess maybe like the kind of betting on the Christmas number one has has dropped off since Lad Baby have got the Christmas number one for the last ten years. <laughs> <laughs> with, with some sausage roll song. <laughs> Edgar Wright, welcome back. The Living are pleased to see you, but they want to discuss films. Their first thing they ask is, what was the last film you saw, Edgar Wright? You watch a lot of films, right? I watched with my girlfriend who had never seen it. And um, I think maybe like had thought she wouldn't really like this kind of thing and then really did like this kind of thing is we watched the 1987 version of Robocop. Um, which oh, I hadn't watched for a long time, and she had never seen it, and she loved it, and I had a fucking blast <laughs> watching that again. That's great. 102 minutes, 102 minutes long, Robocop. Mm. Think about everything that it packs into that running time. It really freaked me out when I was little when I saw that, the Romano from ER when he gets acided. That really upset me. I think it really traumatised me that bit. What's funny is you say Romano from ER... But whenever yeah. I see him in something else, I say, oh, it's a meal from Robocop. <laughs> like when he's, when he's in Alan Parker's fame, I'm like, hey, it's a meal. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think should play you in the film of your life? I'm going to give you a little choice here. And I'm not sure if I can share a photo or not. Maybe I don't know how to do that. Maybe it won't work. Oh, I'd like you to. Can you see that? <laughs> Maybe you can put it up. <laughs> Who is that? That's me. Uh, that's you. That's me, age no. like 17. Get out of it. Yeah. Get out of it. That's not you. Shut up. That's not you. It is me on uh, BBC's Going Live. Wow. 
So in answer to your question, who would play me in a film of my life? I'll tell you about a couple of people over the years. The first time ever that somebody at school said I look like somebody, and this might be before your time, Brett, but did you remember a show called Press Gang? Oh, with Dexter Fletcher and uh, Safi. Yes, exactly. But they're yes. not Dexter Fletcher. There was an actor in it called Paul Reynolds who played Colin. And I remember this girl that I fancied from school said, you, you look like Colin from Press Gang. So I think then to impress her, I, I started dressing like Colin from Press Gang to really like just try and seal the deal. So I don't know, that's a, that's a very specific reference for Brits of a certain age, but Colin from Press Gang. And then the photo that you just saw, which is me on Going Live, age 17, I remember I showed this to John Hamm and he said, you look like Rebecca hmm. Hall. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I mean, I don't look like Rebecca Hall and now. Rebecca Hall is a Rebecca Hall is an absolutely wonderful actor, a beautiful, wonderful actor. Okay, what a that's a wonderful choice. More recently, and this is bollocks, but sometimes on Instagram when I post something, and usually if I got longer hair and I'm wearing like a dark suit and a dark shirt, invariably somebody in the comments saying, "Is that John Wick?" Now the thing is, so. I'd love to believe that Keanu Reeves could play me. And I actually met him recently, so I, and he looked exactly like John Wick when I saw him, which was very funny. But he's like, oh, you know, several feet taller and with, you know, kind of 10 years on me, a lot, lot fitter <laughs> and a lot, lot more handsome. <laughs> so in my dreams, Keanu Reeves would play me, but he'd have to be squashed and put on some weight. I mean... I would vote for Rebecca Hall. <laughs> absolutely, she's 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 just a, f- a phenomenal actor and a brilliant. I think that you'd be very great. I know Rebecca, and if I tried to even paraphrase what we've been talking about, I think she'd be very disturbed. <laughs> what is the most romantic film you've ever seen? Uh, my vote for this, and some one other things I might have mentioned have been mentioned on the podcast already. I think somebody recently talked about. Out of sight, so I'm not going to pick that. Mm. But okay. let's go back to the 40s. My vote for most romantic film is Alfred Hitchcock's Notorious with Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman. Very classy choice, young man. What a classy little choice. It's a really sexy film, romantic film, because to some extent it's... Well, it's not like it's unrequited, but the premise of that movie is that Cary Grant is a government agent who has enlisted... Ingrid Bergman to spy on a group of Nazis in Brazil. And they're falling in love during the mission, but then the mission is complicated by the fact that Ingrid Bergman's character is asked to, is proposed to by one of the Nazis. And to, to, to go undercover, she has to marry him. So Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman's, you know, growing affection for each other is then complicated by what she has to become in her undercover mission to spy on the Nazis. So when Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman do get together, it's great because it's like a double whammy of that they're already in this espionage drama where if either of them get found out, they're going to get killed. Um, But also she's on paper married to Claude Rains. And also because it's a 40s film, it's not explicit in any way and it suggests things happening off screen that you don't see. But that just makes it more romantic. I think it's like, and I think their sort of charisma and that chemistry, Mm. whatever the reality of it was, is just like burning up the screen. So I always think Notorious is a really romantic movie. That's an excellent answer, Edgar Wright. What is the best film you ever saw that you never want to see again? Well, I can't say Irreversible 
because I have watched it twice. <laughs> and, um, right. Because I did see, I did, I did see, it and then, and then my girlfriend really wanted to watch it, and I kept warning her right. that it was one of the most hardcore films of all time. And she goes, "No, I want to see it." And then, you know, and then we watched it, and then she she kept doing that thing where she sort of was w- w- walking out of the room and coming back <laughs> because she was terrified of yeah. the of the big central centerpiece scene, which is a rightly notorious and really hard mm-hmm. to watch. But we did watch the whole thing. And, and actually, when it got to a certain point, and you know what that film is like, I said, we have to watch it to the end now. Yeah. We have to watch it to the end. Bizarrely, yeah. bizarrely this film has a happy ending. <laughs> The second, the second half's quite beautiful, but I, I don't know if any people who made it to that. I well, that's that's the, that is the heinous element of that film is that it actually, obviously, because it's going backwards, it ends on the most romantic, sweet scene. So I can't say yeah. irreversible. I can't say funny games because I think I have seen that more than once, and I watched the the original one and the remake. So yeah. I don't think that I'd be watching a film like Snowtown again anytime soon. Although maybe if somebody said let's watch Snowtown, I wouldn't say no. So my answer to this is. Pasolini's Sallow or The 120 Days of Sodom, which I watched and I appreciated, but I would not be in a rush to see it ever again. Uh, Now, I have read many things about that film and I have never watched it. And every time I read about it, I'm like, I just don't see it happening in my lifetime. Can you tell us what it is that makes that? Um, It's considered a classic, people, you know, it's always on a list. But whenever I read like what it is, I'm like, I don't know if I need to sit through this. I mean, it's it's very powerful and it's it's set in fascist Italy in World War II and it's basically these powerful, wealthy, horrible aristocrats torturing these young people in various levels of sexual degradation. And I guess the entire thing is like both something that happened in reality and also just a metaphor for corruption itself. But... The thing that's tough watching it is actually the thing that made me the most kind of queasy was not the actual sort of um, Mm. sexual deprivation on show. No, the thing that haunts me about that film, and anybody who's seen this film will know exactly what I'm talking about, is the cutaways of the dirty old men enjoying it is somehow worse than the acts themselves. And I remember when I watched it, Mm. I watched it at, I didn't see it in the cinema. And in fact, name drop alert, Quentin Tarantino said to me, he said, if you didn't watch Sallow in the cinema, you haven't seen it at all. So he said said (laughs) that to me. So maybe I have to do that to finally be at peace with Sallow, actually watching the cinema and, and, and see people walking out. But I watched it at home and it was one of the only films where... I was watching it during the day and I had like blackout curtains and everything that I stopped it halfway through and went for a walk in the sunshine. I think I walked around the block and saw the sun before I continued watching it to finish it. I still have the DVD, but like I I can't imagine watching that again in a rush unless my girlfriend absolutely for some bizarre reason said, (laughs) I must watch Sallow. It's for work, or I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I would say I would say watch yeah. it once. I would say it's one of those films that you got to watch it once. Really? And according to Quentin Tarantino, here's the thing. Okay, next time it's on the cinema, mm-hmm. we're in the same city. You're going to break your sallow cherry, and I'm going to do what Tarantino said oh, and God. watch it in the <laughs> cinema. Because apparently I haven't seen it because I watched it at home. So then it's, it's, a, win, it's a win-win for us. It's a win-win for us. Whenever it cuts to the old people enjoying it, I'm going to look across at you and grin. 
<laughs> what we, we should do is we should we should do like one of those pen and teller things where it's audience participation is every time it cuts to one of the old gentlemen enjoying it, we should stand up and clap. <laughs> <laughs> or shout Salo! Shout Salo at the screen. <laughs> like it's a touchdown. Salo! <laughs> Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Annabay. Annabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Annabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hello, my neighbour Maureen. What's this I hear about you getting a promotion at the office? Didn't you just get promoted last month? It's all thanks to Canva. I've been nailing every meeting with AI-powered Canva presentations. Isn't that Canva's AI slide generator where you just describe your presentation in a few words and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides in seconds? That's right. And to top it off, I use Magic Write, Canva's AI text generator, to perfect my points. Sounds brilliant, Maureen. No more copying and pasting from other programs. No more app switching. Can Canva Docs with Magic Write generate any text you want for work? Yes. Sales proposals, marketing plans? Yeah. Meeting agendas, ratings of all 12 Muppet movies using the extensive point system that I developed at age 12. Anyone can save time with Canva's AI-powered tools. Generate your draft fast with Canva Docs at canva.com designed for work. Oh, thanks, my neighbor, Maureen. Yeah, thank you. What is the best action film you've ever seen? Right, so, okay, here's honorable mentions before we get to the ultimate pick. Mad Max 2, Mad Max Fury Road, Hard Boiled Correct. by John Woo. A Better, yes. a better Tomorrow 2, that's a more deep cut John Woo one, but if you haven't seen that film, oh my good God. That's the film they're watching in True Romance, which has an incredible ending. Uh... Die Hard. Aliens, Raiders yes. of the Lost Ark, which is mentioned too many times on this podcast, yes, yes. but it is classic. The Driver, Walter Hill's film. But the actual answer is like, because I've seen it with an audience and I love this film and it's 
never not fun to watch this with the crowd is Jackie Chan's Police Story, the first one from 1985, which has the climax to beat all climaxes, which is like 25-minute beat-em-up sequence in a shopping mall with more broken glass than you can possibly imagine. <laughs> more, more henchmen being thrown through broken glass and more Jackie Chan getting the shit kicked out of him. <laughs> And people being thrown down escalators and motorcycles in malls. That, and then climaxing in the famous, uh, you know, sliding down an electrified pole, <laughs> like at the end of it. Like Police Story all the way through. Also, Police Story starts like most films end. It has that opening sequence with the kind of car chase through the shantytown, which kind of Michael Bay rips off in Bad Boys 2. But like that opening sequence, and then it turns into the chase with the double-decker bus. Yeah. That's all in the first five minutes. So that movie just keeps kind of upping the ante. And I think it was because Jackie Chan had been to Hollywood and not quite succeeded with Cannibal Run 1 and 2 and the film called The Protector. And The Protector, I think, was particularly like a bruising Hollywood experience for him. So when he then made Police Story, he kind of like just goes for it. And it's just, I mean, that film with an audience is extraordinary. And uh, I would happily watch that any time. So that's my pick for the greatest action film of all time. Very nice. Of all the films, if you had to, which film do you think you could have made and why? This is a tough one for me to answer because I, I am a film director. So I don't want to... I don't. Yeah, you, you have actually made And I don't want to so answer <laughs> this in the sense of that I could have made these films better because I couldn't. So I, I can think of three that when in my younger days when I wasn't a film director or or I hadn't made Shaun of the Dead yet. Like when films that made me so envious that mm-hmm. I thought like I wanna make I wanna be making movies like that. Probably like a big one when I was a teenager would have been something like Evil Dead 2, where you just like my eyes are popping out of my sockets like, what right. is this? How can I be a part of this? I wanna do that whatever this is, I wanna do it. And then later when I was yeah. I'd already made a film, a very low budget film starring your Ted Lasso buddy, James Lance, who I ran into in the street the other day. Hey. Did, you know, did you know that he's in my first movie? I did not know that. I didn't remember that. No. I love that man. What a wonderful man. He is the only member of the cast of A Fistful of Fingers, 1995, to have been in a White House press briefing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, less, it's less than you think. The next one, I think when I saw Wes Craven scream at the cinema in like 1996, or maybe it was early 97, that was another film that just made me like envious because I, it was before, it was after I'd done Fistful of Fingers, but way before Spaced or Shaun of the Dead. And I just watching that film, just kind of like clawing at the seats, like, oh God, I want to make a film like that. And then the other one, the big one as well, which was after Spaced and before Shaun of the Dead was the German film Run, Lola, Run. Um, the oh, Tom yeah. Twyker movie. It just, it just like had me literally frothing over at this point, going, oh my God, I gotta make a movie. So the thing is, I would say one of those, but then I couldn't better them, you know, so what's the answer? I don't no, know, but you tell me. I think, I think Run, Lone, and Run is your answer, because I can see, I could see you making that. Well, make the, I'll, I'll make a British one and it'll be, the title will be, go on, girl. <laughs> <laughs> go on. That's great. I mean, it's a fucking great film. I forgot about that film. Oh, 82 minutes long. Yes, as it should be. What is the film you have pretended to like 
to impress people. I would like to think that I haven't done too much of that in the sense of to impress somebody. I, I don't know whether I've ever done that because usually, especially recently, I'm pretty kind of open about what I like or not or don't like or what I haven't seen. When I was, um, I think the first girlfriend I ever had when I was a teenager, I definitely pretended to like films that she liked in a, in a way of like just, you know, kind of um, trying to ingratiate myself, I guess. And she was like totally besotted with Patrick Swayze. And so mm-hmm. I think I watched Dirty Dancing with her more than once and definitely pretended to like it more than I did because, you know, I, I, you don't want to be a complete jerk and say this isn't for me. Like so, you know that thing where you kind of just you just kind of like you open yourself way up to you know you're pretending. I mean, it's not like I didn't like it. It's it how it's a very it's an amazing film. film. But I yeah. But I didn't love. I didn't love it. It's not. It's it's not for me. And I didn't love it. But I definitely I definitely pretended that I loved it. <laughs> so just to kind of like you know play off that, I did like Roadhouse, and I do love Point Break. So it's okay. I've got nothing against Swayze. You got a good score there. Uh, what is the film you've never seen that you think it's mad you've never seen it? Brett, I come prepared for this because I'm now going to embarrass myself as somebody who's very open about what they've seen and haven't seen. I'm going to give you a whole list of films, and I've done this very scientifically. I'm going to give you a list of films, and then you're going to tell me what the maddest one is that I haven't seen, and I'll explain why. So I have, like, different lists. The first list I have here... This is the box office mojo list of the highest grossing films of all time, adjusted for inflation. You know what that means? That means that Gone with the Wind is number one, because it's adjusted for inflation. So I have to go all the way down to 35, and now I'm going to rattle these off. At 35, I have not seen Sleeping Beauty. At 41, I have not seen Love Story. 52, I have not seen The Robe, but I don't think you've seen The Robe either. 55, I've not seen Bambi. At 58, I've not wow. seen The Bells of St. Mary. 70, I've never seen The Passion of the Christ. 96, Ooh. I've never seen Swiss Family Robinson. And now, okay, this is just list number one, Brett. Get ready, and I hope you're making notes. Yeah. So we'll double back on what you think is the most egregious one. Now, this yeah. is not adjusted for inflation. So this is the current, like, box office top 100. At 19, I've never seen Frozen 2. <laughs> 28, I've never seen Hunger Games Catching Fire. 43, I've never seen Spider-Man Far From Home, which is strange because I saw the first one and the third one, but not the middle one. I think it oh. was, you know why? It was the summer that I was making Last Night in Soho, so that's my excuse there. Fair okay, 53, The Secret Life of Pets. 54, Despicable Me Too. 58, Guy Ritchie's Aladdin. <laughs> 64, Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 1. 66, Minions. 67, Minions Rise of Gru. 71, Alice in Wonderland, the Tim Burton one. 78, Shrek the Third. 89, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End, which I think is the mm-hmm. third one, right? 96, uh, the, yes. <laughs> the Twilight Saga Eclipse. We'll double back on that one because there's more to that. <laughs> now, this is where it gets even, this is maybe more embarrassing now. These are the IMDb top movies. The IMDb okay. top 100 of all time. And the first one, my girlfriend goes, you haven't seen that? 33, I have not seen Roman Polanski's The Pianist. Mm. 44, I have not seen the French film Untouchable. 45, I've never seen Harry Kiri. 46, this will drive some of your listeners mad. 
I have not seen Grave of the Fireflies. I do have it on Blu-ray. So it's, by the time this comes out, I might have seen it. Um, okay. Se- I'm, I'm really embarrassed about this one. 77, I've never seen Das Boot. Oh, 79, wow. I've never seen Princess Monoke. Mononoke. Mm-hmm. Still on anime. I've never seen 83, Your Name. And then this one, this one is called Three Idiots. I have not seen that film, but it is at 87 in the IMDb Top 100. And then finally, finally, this is shorter. The top 250 most popular on Letterboxd. Perks of Being a Wallflower, Black Widow, <laughs> Howl's Moving Castle, and finally, Ant-Man, of which I am credited uh. as a writer and executive producer. So out of all of those ones I just threw at the wall, and I'm sure some of your listeners are screaming like, how have you not seen Howl's Moving Castle? Yeah. What do you think is the craziest one? The, the one I'm most surprised about is Passion of the Christ, only because it was huge. And you, you have mentioned quite a lot of like horrific films which are like torture porn. Passion of the Christ is just an hour, two hours of a man being tortured. I feel like you'd probably love it. And uh, it surprised me you haven't seen it. My reasoning there, yeah. you know why? It came out the same weekend as Shaun of the Dead. And oh, so okay. bizarrely, or maybe it came out a couple of weekends. The weekend that Shaun of the Dead came out, which was just before Easter, <laughs> Shaun of the Dead was at number three, and we had knocked Passion of the Christ down to number four. So there was that thing when Shaun of the Dead came out and we were at number three. It was like, we beat Jesus! (laughs) (laughs) But the real shocker is Bambi. Well, I have a a good point about that. So there's quite a few Disney ones on here, and I'll explain why. So Disney ones, what did I have? Like Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty, Frozen 2. Well, Frozen 2, is that's we're in Matt Ford territory there. As a 49-year-old man, I can't really go and see Frozen 2 at the cinema, unless I have kids. Agreed, agreed <laughs> to disagree, Matt, but go Matt on. Matt Ford. <laughs> ba- what was it, Bambi? And then also, there was another one as well, right? Um, Sleeping, Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty. Bambi's the one, though. So... I'm of the age where I saw some of the Disney films at the cinema, quite a few of them. In fact, I saw like Snow White, I saw Dumbo, I saw Pinocchio, I saw The Fox and the Hound, I saw The Black Cauldron. But I'm of the age that by the time they started releasing them on VHS, which was in the late 80s, I had sort of aged out of it. Like I've never seen The Little Mermaid and people say, you've never seen The Little Mermaid? And I was, but you know what? When The Little Mermaid came out, I was 15. And I was watching Taxi Driver on VHS. The Little Mermaid (laughs) was of no concern to me. But also, there used to be a TV show on the BBC, and maybe this is before your time, Brett, called Disney Time, which would be on every bank holiday, and it would have clips from the Disney films. And in those clips, you'd see, like, Bambi, Lady and the Tramp, you know, the Aristocats. You'd see all those clips. So in my head, I feel like I have seen them. And then when I stop to think about it, I think, oh, maybe I've never seen the whole film. But I I agree with you. Probably Bambi is the one where I think, like, it's amazing that I've never seen Bambi. Yeah, because it's 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 like a sort of ultimate reference of the sad thing that people will always go, oh, fucking hell, it's like Bambi. I feel like you should see Bambi. I will. I mean, this says everything about me. I've never seen Bambi, but I did see The Black Cauldron at the cinema four times. <laughs> that really does. That really does explain but it. But I just, I, just, I, just I just missed out that re-release. Yeah. Because remember like the Disney it. films in, in the days before Disney+, Plus, before DVDs, before the VHSs, they would go into the Disney vaults and they would only mm. be re-released every like five years. So if you missed that re-release slot, it wasn't going to be on TV and like, tough shit so Mm -hmm. and then like i said by the time they came out on vhs i was too old to really be watching bambi but you know what i'll watch bambi for you okay 
That is mad. What is the film <laughs> you love that you don't expect anyone else to like? I, I've been scientific about this as well, because as you probably know, I, I made a list of my top 1,000 favorite movies. I and uh, I looked at it on Letterboxd. Somebody had done this list. I, t- I changed the setting so it said lowest rating first. So the three, the, the four lowest rated movies, actually, one of them I, I, you have to give a pass to. Glenn or Glenda was the lowest rated one, but Glenn or Glenda by Ed Wood is a very enjoyable movie. The next three I would stick up for, but if somebody didn't like them, I wouldn't be mad at them for not liking them. Number one right. is a Disney film, The Black Hole. Disney's The Black oh, Hole. Oh, man. I and, some, I and quite a few people I know, including my brother, Joe Cornish, and name drop alert, Christopher Nolan, are all somewhat obsessed with The Black Hole. Because The Black Hole is, it's not a perfect film. It's got flaws, but there's enough things in it that make it a very intriguing prospect. And there's a lot of great things about it. Amazing John Barry score. Incredible map paintings and miniature effects. And a decidedly trippy heaven or hell ending, which when I was five years old and saw it at the cinema, scared the fucking shit out of me. <laughs> like, Yeah, don't they all die in a black hole at the end of the black hole? No, well, the, well, what it seems to be saying, although it's never really clear, is that the goodies go to heaven and the baddies go to hell. Because Maximilian Shell gets trapped inside his own robot, also called Maximilian, just to be confusing. And then the final image of him is he's in this Hieronymus Bosch hellscape, trapped in his own robot yeah. with like the fires of hell beneath him. And it's an extraordinary like way to end a movie. It's like the baddies have gone to hell through the black hole. Yeah. The other two ones that were down at the bottom, and this is a film I do love. And like, I always like, it's a film you either go with it or you don't. But the horror film, The Ruins, about the um, deadly super intelligent plants at the Mayan temple. Have you ever seen that movie? No, I've never seen that movie. I recommend it. It has a plot point in it where you could tell in the cinema that people are either with the movie or not with the movie. A similar film is that film Splice, which also, when I saw that with an audience, you could tell that the audience was about to riot. And The Ruins has a thing where there's a plot point in it where basically it's about these tourists that go to Mexico and they go to this Mayan temple and the locals are sort of like shouting them not to step on the temple and they get scared and they end up running up the temple. And what they've done is that they, as soon as they're on the temple, they have kind of walked into sort of a cursed earth because the plants, the vines that surround the ruins are alive. And they're like super intelligent, deadly, flesh-eating plants. I don't know if I want to spoil... Shall I spoil the big plot point, which is either where you're with the movie or not? Yes. Little, little spoiler spoil, alert. Skip ahead. There's a thing where they're trying to find their friend who has fallen down the temple and they can hear her cell phone. And then they, they get down into the temple, into the dark, and it's creepy as hell to find their friend because they can hear her cell phone. And when they get down, you see that the plants are mimicking the noise of the cell phone. So the plants are basically toying with them, that the plants have learned how to kind of bleep and are basically impersonating the cell phone ring. And like, I was just, when that happened in the movie, I was like, I love this fucking movie. I love this movie, The Ruins. It goes for it. It's like big, crazy ideas. And like, I'm in. So... I like that film a lot, and I always like sing its praises. If I find a fellow Ruins fan, I'm like, yes, we are together. <laughs> but if somebody said to me, that film is shit, I wouldn't say, you're wrong. It's, I, right. I, I think you would like it. And the, the one other film that was on this list, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick The Ruins. But 
is Michael Crichton's Looker from 1981. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. No, I haven't even heard of that movie. It is a bonkers movie starring Albert Finney, and it is, like most Michael Crichton things, way ahead of its time because it is about their scanning fashion models at their peak, in inverted commas, of like, I don't know, 24, and then they're killing them so they can keep their digital avatars forever. So the plot of the movie is fashion models are being scanned to appear in advertising and then being killed so they can exploit their um, likeness forever, which weirdly wow. sounds like we're not too far away from that. Yeah. And it wow. also involves Albert Finney. as He's a plastic surgeon in Beverly Hills. And there's also these baddies who have this gun, this light gun that can make you jump forward in time. So there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in that movie, but I highly, it's bonkers. And I wouldn't say it's objectively great, but my God, is it a great watch and way ahead of its time. I love Albert Finney as well. Love him. Under three points on Letterboxd. (laughs) (laughs) What is, I mean, this is fast. What is the film you would show a lover as a test to see if you should be together? And fuck me, was it irreversible? No, but I think if I watched Raising Arizona with somebody and they really hated it, I'm not Mm. sure that we have that much of a future. But you could say that about most favourite films. It's like, if they really, really hated it or like... I mean, listen, it's a a weird thing to do because I think it sounds quite bro-y to be like, sort of like, watch Goodfellas and if you don't like it, you're out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But it's more like with kind of sense of humour stuff or something that's like light Mm. and funny is if they find no joy in it, then it's like, oh, I don't know whether I can be with this person. So I'd probably say Raising Arizona is a good litmus test because I love that movie. And if somebody, I'm not expecting them to love it as much as I do. How could you? But if they found it completely without, it would, if it held no interest to them whatsoever, <laughs> I'd have yeah, to question yeah. the relationship. I think that's right. I think if it's, I think you're right. It's either Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. 
Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hello, my neighbor Maureen. What's this I hear about you getting a promotion at the office? Didn't you just get promoted last month? It's all thanks to Canva. I've been nailing every meeting with AI-powered Canva presentations. Isn't that Canva's AI slide generator where you just describe your presentation in a few words and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides in seconds? That's right. And to top it off, I use Magic Write, Canva's AI text generator, to perfect my points. Sounds brilliant, Maureen. No more copying and pasting from other programs. No more app switching. Can Canva Docs with Magic Write generate any text you want for work? Yes. Sales proposals, marketing plans, yeah. Meeting agendas, ratings of all 12 Muppet movies using the extensive point system that I developed at age 12. Anyone can save time with Canva's AI-powered tools. Generate your draft fast with Canva Docs at canva.com, designed for work. Oh, thanks, my neighbor, Maureen. Yeah, thank you. Sense of humor or emotion. I think if, if I yes. showed someone a film I found very moving and they were completely, un, like it did nothing to them, then I'd be like, oh, maybe there's something off here. I mean, it should be called the singing, the singing in the Rain test, is if somebody watched Singing in the Rain yeah, said, it's exactly. shit, it's like, get, it, get out now. <laughs> get out. What is the film that made you the most uncomfortable, Edgar Wright? I mean, you've, you've gone pretty hardcore. Well, there's lots of answers of things that I've watched on my own, but it, this was a very particular situation with people that I knew. But I was at the premiere, or maybe it was at the premiere, it was a kind of BFI premiere, maybe the UK premiere of Paddy Constein's Tyrannosaur. And Paddy directed the movie, a very tough movie, and Olivia Coleman stars in it. And Paddy and Olivia met on the set of Hot Fuzz. And almost like her kind of transition into being a drama actress on top of being like a national treasure in comedy was the film Tyrannosaur. And I always thought it was amazing that Paddy was the person who met Olivia on Hot Fuzz and saw something in her beyond just the comedy that she'd done. So it's a credit to Paddy, and Olivia always says this, that it's like, he's the person who saw something in me that I didn't necessarily know that I had. So all of that's amazing. But then the actual film and Eddie Marzan, who I didn't know so well at that point, but I do know now because I worked with him afterwards, watching the scenes with Olivia and her abusive husband played by Eddie Marzan, knowing Olivia and what a lovely person was, it's a very powerful film. And I remember sitting in the screening like with my hands over my face because even though I knew it was make-believe, I just kind of couldn't help get wrapped up in you know i know these people i know the director i know that it's a film but it's so powerful and so uncomfortable to watch and you know a devastating movie that i i i found myself just breaking out in hives watching it and then that was then immediately like kind of um solved by getting to have a drink with them all afterwards <laughs> you know like yeah <laughs> but but the but the watching of that movie the intensity of it knowing that they were all in the room was just like off the charts to me i mean i think it's a really great movie and i i hope paddy directs more as well like cuz i think it's incredible that film but it was tough to watch it's tough to watch with the people in the room, it, which, which should make it easier knowing that it's all make-believe yeah. and they're all here and that Eddie Marzan is... Across it, is yeah. it, <laughs> Eddie Marzan is not a, a terrible abuser and is actually a really nice guy. He actually said something in the Q&A, which made me cast him in The World's End. You know, like um, in the Q&A, somebody said, Eddie, you've done some really... You've played some really um, dark characters in your time. And he said, he says, yeah, I'm, I'm ashamed to say I've never had a consensual sex scene. <laughs> <laughs> oh my so god! 
And I just, and then in the world's end, he plays the nicest one of the group. And I was like, I got a part for you. I want you to play a really nice guy in the next one. <laughs> oh my God. What a thing for the CV. <laughs> if you could show a child, here we go. This is your area. If you could show a child one film, what would it be? As a sop to Matt Ford, if they were 11, I'd show them The Goonies. But here's my real answer, because this is a movie that I saw when I was a kid. And I think it's a film, when you show it to kids, there's no kid watching it that doesn't want to be in the movie. And that's Alan Parker's Bugsy Malone. Like, because any mm. kid watching that who's of the age of the actors, they're like, I want to do that. I want to be in that movie. I want to have a splurge gun. I want to have a pedal car chase. I want to be in that pie fight. I want to be singing and dancing mm. at Fat Sam's. And like, I just think it's one of those movies that like for kids of a certain age that they're seeing themselves on the screen. And you know, there's things about that movie is he probably wouldn't get away with it today because it's like kids with guns. I, now, fair enough, they're not shooting bullets, but they still have guns. You know, like Jodie Foster playing like, you know, um, Tallulah, like a sort of a, mm. a good time girl is a way of saying it in inverted commas. I, ironically, I know that Jodie Foster shot Taxi Driver only two weeks after rapping, and sorry, she shot Bugsy Malone only two weeks after rapping Taxi Driver. So imagine oh, that wow. she plays Iris in Taxi Driver, flies to London and shoots Bugsy Malone, which is, that's whiplash. Wow. It's gotta be. Yeah. But that would be my right. answer. I think it's one of those films is just like for as, as a thing of like getting kids interested in acting. I think I had that experience when I saw it. I was just like, put me in coach. I want to be in that movie. <laughs> and I, I did it at school. I did do it at school when I was 12. It was a school production of Bugsy Malone. And um, I got to be in Fat Sam's Gang and sing Bad Guys. And then way, way later in Baby Driver, Paul Williams is in the movie, you know, the composer of all of those songs. Paul Williams, who also composed Muppet Christmas Carol, is in Baby Driver. Of course. Yeah, he plays, he plays the butcher. He plays the arms dealer in the scene in the warehouse. He's wearing oh. a little white suit. And he's like, that's Paul Williams. And in fact, oh, when we were that. shooting that scene, I said to Jamie Foxx, um, I said, you know who Paul Williams is, right? And Jamie Foxx just answered by saying, why are there so many songs uh. about rainbows? And then, and then Jamie sang Rainbow Connection in Kermit's voice in front of Paul Williams, which was something I wish I had on video, but I don't. Oh, man. Oh, boy. Edgar Wright, you have been great. And so you know what? I've decided to let you live for the time being. However, before we go, you must pick one DVD you will leave in the will for when you die again. And that day could be soon, young man. I'm going to pick a film. This is tough for me, but I'm going to pick a film that I think I didn't talk about on the last podcast because I felt like I always talk about it. And so I didn't make any of my picks. And I know it's on your list of like, don't mention this, everybody mentioned this, but I'm just going to leave it there. Why not let future generations enjoy John Landis's American Wealth in London? Ah, it's a fucking, it is such a great film. You can have it, of course. It's a belter. It's a belter. 92 minutes long. 92. It's per that film's perfect, isn't it? That's a perfect film. It is a perfect film. It's also perfect even in its abruptness. Like, I remember reading the Leonard Maltin review, uh, which gave it like three stars, and it said, like, dynamite horror comedy only marred by abrupt ending. And I was thinking, I oh, love the ending's that amazing. ending. 
the ending's amazing, and it's like the yeah. abruptness of it, the tragicness of it, and that cut to the song, mm. Blue Moon by the Marcells, is just like, like yeah. what am I, I'm doing the chef's kiss. It's perfect. Perfect film. Perfect. Perfection. Edgar Wright, thank you so much for doing this again. I was going to ask, what do people look out for? But you're superstitious, so you mustn't, you mustn't say. No, I mean, something soon. I mean, I, like, later in the year, and I'm only like an executive producer on it, but I have been enjoying it as it's coming together, but there'll be the anime, the anim, well, it's not an anime version of Scott Pilgrim, the Scott Pilgrim anime series, which is uh, n- neither, neither like a straight adaptation of the books or a straight adaptation of the film, but something else that you will enjoy with the entire original cast back. So that is not something that I am writing or directing, but I am an executive producer on it. So I I sort of been watching it come together and get to enjoy it as a punter. And uh, Mm. I know other people are going to like, especially if you're a Scott Pilgrim or an anime fan, it's going to flip your lid. And then whatever my next film is, you'll be the first to hear about it, Brett. Yeah! Yeah! Edgar Wright was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm glad we found the time. Uh, Have a wonderful life, and I will speak to you soon. Good day. Speak to you soon. Apologies to Matt Ford. So that was episode 247. Head over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein for the extra video chat and secrets with Edgar. Head over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star review, but don't write about the show. No one cares about that. Just write about the film that means the most to you and why. It's a lovely thing to read. People like reading it. I like reading it. They often make me cry. And it's very much appreciated. Thank you. Head over to Apple TV Plus and watch Ted Lasso Season 3, Episodes 1 to 9, and all of Shrinkin' Season 1. I hope you're all well. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you so much to Edgar for doing the show. Thanks to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to iHeartMedia and Will Ferrell's Big Money Players Network for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics and Lisa Lydon for the photography. Come and join me next week for another brilliant guest. So that is it for now. In the meantime, have a good week and please be excellent to each other. Sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind, sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more, online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. 
The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Maureen, your Canva presentation looks brilliant. Thanks, Brett. That's because I used AI-powered Canva presentations. I just described what I wanted, and Canva presentations generated the perfect slides. You can even make a talking presentation for people to watch on their own time. Check this out. Recording. 101 Reasons Why Beaches is the Saddest Film Ever Made by your neighbour Maureen. Is it easy to use? If you can use a computer, you can nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Oh, thanks, my neighbour Maureen. Yeah, thank you.